The Dockers prevail in a wet scrap against the West Coast Eagles. Two of our biggest trade targets have resigned with their clubs, and we farewell the warrior of the Fremantle Football Club. I'm your host as always, and this is the Big Digs Podcast. Episode 14 of the Big Digs podcast. A lot has happened since the last episode. A lot is going on both on-field and off-field as we approach the business end of the AFL season. With none bigger than the shock retirement of David Mundy. After 372 AFL games expanding over 19 years, the 37-year-old made his announcement last Monday and I swear to God I was this close to crying during class. And even though, like I just said, he is 37 years old, I don't think any of us expected his retirement to be so early. I mean, I really did believe we were going to see Monday for Hundy at some point, whether that was going to be next year or the year after. But it's going to be such a weird feeling knowing that David Mundy's not going to be playing at the club next year. He's been playing footy longer than I've existed And not only to have the durability, but also have the quality and consistency to do it over 19 years. He's going to go down as one of the best Dockers ever. Club best and fairest winner in 2010. His first and only All-Australian in 2015. And he captains the Dockers in 2016. And he pulled a career-high 20 votes at the Brownlow last year at the age of 36. The fact that he finished equal 10th to the most prestige individual medal that you can get in this sport, and again, to do all of that at his age is unbelievable. Throughout his whole career, he's never been the number one bloke at Frio, and he's never had to in order to make the sort of impact that he's made. And off his own boot, he has created some of the most iconic and unforgettable moments in our club's history. The clutch goal against Richmond in 2015 practically locked us in top spot for the rest of the year. And by God, we are never going to forget and never stop talking about the goal after the siren in 2017. Let's just reimagine the moment for a second. There's 21 seconds left. Richmond have just hit the front. The ball is bounced. Sandy wins the tap and has a little fumble with himself. The ball falls at the back. Here comes Lockie Neal storming through. What a pickup, by the way. Neil absolutely turns on the afterburners. Neil just gets the kick away from inside the square. The ball makes its way towards the boundary line and coming through is David Mundy to take the mark. He's about 40 metres out on a tough angle. The siren sounds. Mundy comes in and kicks the iconic clutch goal to win the game for Frio. Is it possible that I think one of our greatest moments in club history and probably the best moment in David Mundy's career is a tad bit underrated? Because that's how I really feel about David Mundy's goal after the siren. I mean, to set up that kick, given the situation that Freo were in, is one of the best pieces of play I have ever seen. 
because all Richmond had to do was either win the clearance with a hat kick forward or trap the ball inside the middle again. And either one of those would have just won them the game. Because there was only one way Ferrell were going to win that. And that was with a quick clearance, a mark inside 50, and a goal after the siren. And that is exactly what happened in that order. And on a bit of a side note as well, that will be the best clearance Lockie Neal will ever win in his career. Mundy was drafted with pick 19 in the 2003 AFL Draft. And after 19 years of unselflessness, dedication, hard work, class, sportsmanship, and unmatched leadership, he will leave a legacy that will never be replicated, at least in my opinion, by anybody wearing a purple and white jumper. And the only bad thing I have to say about Mundy is the fact that he will never play 400 games because I had some serious fire merch waiting for that. And speaking of, I have merchandise, baby! If you head to www.redbubble.com and search either Frio Hub or Big Digs Podcast, you can get the first wave of Frio Hub merchandise. We have t-shirts, hats, phone cases, stickers, magnets, water bottles, face masks, notebooks, literally anything you could ask for. As of right now, we have designs of Barramundi, Frio Hub, Back Six, Get the Chicks Quoted by Luke Ryan, Pickle Rick, the iconic So Wrong, So Right commentary, and the Big Digs podcast. It isn't going to be here for very long, so make sure you get yourself some now. With that being said, let's jump back into the episode. Both Angus Brayshaw and Liam Baker have both signed on with their respective clubs after being rumoured to come back for WA for most of the season. Liam Baker signed, I think it was either a two or four year deal, while Brayshaw signed a six year deal with the D's. However, you can take a positive out of a negative, and now that those two guys are off the trade table, we can pull in all of our chips to try and bring over Luke Jackson. And speaking of Luke Jackson, apparently Melbourne have met with Collingwood star ruckman Brody Grundy in an attempt to bring him over to the D's. The reason why is the belief that Melbourne clearly believe that Luke Jackson is going to go over to WA at the end of the season. And at this point of the season, and with all the trade rumours that have been surfacing since the start of the year, I'm more than 100% confident that Luke Jackson will be a Docker next year. He's put his contract talks on hold. Melbourne are already looking for a replacement ruckman. Jackson has purchased a house in WA that's relatively close to the Freo facility in Coburn. And supposedly he told one of his mates that he'd love to be playing for Freo. So with all of that in mind... Jackson's going to come home, and he's definitely not going to go home to the Eagles. So I guess the what now is the trade that could possibly happen in order to make this happen. If the trade comes down to Rory Lobb swapping with Luke Jackson, I'm saying no. Now, wait, 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 wait. Before you pull out your pitch talks and flame torches, let me explain. Do I want Luke Jackson to go to Frio? Yes, obviously, 100%. You'd be crazy not to take a bona fide generational ruckman, but we need to keep Lobb at least until the end of his contract in 2023. Because, and I know how ridiculous this sounds, and I know for a fact I'm going to cop a lot on social media for saying this, but Rory Lobb is our most important player. He's kicked 34 goals for the year, the most at our club currently, and the personal best for him. And I think us fans have realised in the past month, without Rory Lobb in our team, the whole forward line just crumbles apart. 
And the biggest problem that was raised by Kane Corns about bringing someone over like Luke Jackson is that Luke Jackson doesn't benefit our forward line whatsoever. You do get the best ruck duo combo in the competition with Sean Darcy and Luke Jackson, but the price is that you lose your best key forward for a team who is primed for a premiership desperately needing a bona fide key forward. All of a sudden, Lobb's kicking 40 goals for the Demons. Now, all of a sudden, the team that won 17 games in a row have a solid key forward to help them. Meanwhile, Freo are left with certainly the best young ruckman in the competition, but our only solid key forward left is Matt Tabiner, who is way too injury-prone to be the number one key forward, like a Peter Wright, for example, at the Bombers. Basically, the problem with involving Rory Lobb with a trade in order to bring Luke Jackson is that you turn a strength of our game and make it stronger, but on the other side, you turn the biggest flaw in our game and make it even worse. However, there is a way Freo could sort of make their way around this. As we saw in the St. Kilda game a few weeks ago, Nat Fife is clearly capable of playing that key forward role when he has to. However, we don't actually know how much footy Nat Fife's body can take. And frankly, guys like Josh Tracy and Joe Amos and hell, even Sam Sturt are still a few years away from truly developing into a decent key forward. But there's still another available option that I think, quite frankly, many people have slept on since the start of the year. But why not, for the meantime, bring Brennan Cox down forward? We saw in the North Melbourne game at the start of the year Brennan Cox's ability to go down forward and kick goals. Plus, he's brilliant at reading the play, which would make him a great leading key forward. Plus, if you put him down there, it free opens a spot for Griffin Logue to go back in defence. Which, I guess you could also throw up the idea of Griffin Logue becoming a permanent key forward, but his role down forward is more of a band-aid fix rather than a stitch. But still, I would be really, really surprised that if Lobb does leave, Brennan Cox doesn't at least explore the idea of going down forward. The last few seconds. Great class there, by Money finishes with the footy in his hands. Fremantle get the win and make it three in a row against their cross-town rivals. It was like a derby of old early, but the Dockers do it for Dave. Derby number 55 is officially done and dusted, and so too does perhaps the last game of David Bundy at Optus Stadium. Going into the game, I was pretty well confident that Freya would get the job done. Definitely a little bit shaky at halftime, let's just say that. But the main thing I wanted going into this game is that I wanted it to be entertaining. I actually wanted the derby to be interesting. And boy, were my expectations blown away. Despite having literally the worst conditions possible, with even a lightning warning postponing the game, that first quarter scrap was some of the most intriguing and entertaining derby footy I've seen for a long time. It's been quite a while since a scrap like that has broken out during a derby, but I loved it and I thought it was heaps fun to watch. Especially when I've got a West Coast fan sitting next to me during the game. Nelson, the Spartan Brayshaw going at each other, Caleb Sarong's jumper being ripped in half. Sarong also giving away a 150 metre penalty. Haven't seen one of those since the J train back in the day. Again, despite having the worst conditions possible for a Saturday night, the whole game was just a joy from start to finish. Huge pumps, bigger scraps, and a whole lot more in between. It's literally anything you could want out of a Western Derby. Regardless of where each team is sitting on the ladder, you always want a close contest when it's a crosstown rival. 
It had everything I wanted going into it and more. And thankfully, with no surprises whatsoever, Freo got the job done in Monday's last game, which I actually think is a bit poetic considering this was his last game at Optus Stadium. It was wet, it was tough, it was hard, but we still managed to pull off the head and get the W. And thankfully, there's more to talk about in the takeaways. Key takeaway number one, the aggressive flag mantle is back. It was evident during the Bulldogs game, but on the Western Derby, it was on full display. The attacking and daring Frio is back. We've been playing very soft and slow footy since the bye came. But since the Melbourne lost from a few weeks ago, the Dockers have completely flicked the switch. We just play with a lot more dare and are willing to take on the opponent to get a forward entry, which is what the good Fremantle sides do. JL did say in the press conference after the Melbourne game that they just had to give their key forwards a lot more better looks when going inside 50, and that's exactly what Fremantle done in the last two games. The very good teams that we've beaten this year have been done with this dare attacking Fremantle side. Think about the Geelong game, the Brisbane game, the Melbourne game that we played at the MCG. Think about how aggressive we were around the contested footy and the pressure that we would apply when the opposition got the footy. That is our best brand of footy right there, and it's been coming back in the last couple of weeks. And thankfully, this is key takeaway too, by the way, it has been adapted in the wet. Now, thankfully, spring is just right around the corner, but for now, we just needed to win a game in the wet to boost our confidence, and that's exactly what we did. Even though the ball delivery to our key forwards wasn't exactly top-notch, and even then, Lobb got absolutely exposed by Tom Barras on Saturday night, I still think a win under the conditions gives the Dockers a confidence boost about their ability to play in the wet. It just grows their self-belief in saying, okay, our system is good enough and versatile enough to adapt to wet conditions. And the final key takeaway is that 2022 has been the year of the wingman. James Aish is having a career best season. Blake Akers before his injury was arguably in all-Australian form. And Nathan O'Driscoll has been nothing short of amazing. In the nine games he's played, I think he's notched up four Goal of the Year nominations. And all three of those blokes were on full display on Saturday night. Akers from Sean Darcy's side was probably the best player on the ground. James H had a great game and what a lot of contested footy. And Nathan Driscoll just continues to play his role every week. For a side that I questioned needed a pure, genuine winger, those three have certainly made me eat my own words here. And now we move on to the last game of the home and away season. The Dockers take on GWS at Canberra. Honestly, this game isn't really about the match itself, but the context it has behind deciding the final top eight. If the Dockers win and both Sydney and Collingwood lose, Freo will slide up to third on the ladder and will play against the winner of the Melbourne and Brisbane game this week. On the other hand, if the Dockers lose, we'll slide all the way down to sixth and we'll play either Richmond or Carlton at a home elimination final. The best thing for me out of this whole situation is that regardless of what happens, we are confirmed to play in a home final. If we slide up into the top four and either win that game or lose that game, we either set up a home prelim final or a home semi-final. And there's no mathematical way we can slide further down than six. So even if we don't make the top four, we're still guaranteed a home elimination final. In saying that though, I'm still very, very confident that Freya will get the job done over the Giants. GWS have been playing some very solid footy for a bottom four team. They came with a kick of beating the Bulldogs last round, and I think they toppled the Bombers a few weeks ago, so they've been in pretty good stride. 
as we all know by now, they have got some absolute stars started across that list, but fortunately, most of them will miss the final game of the season due to injury. Guys like Brett Daniels, Phil Davis, Braden Proust, Tim Taranto, and none bigger than Toby Green will all miss that game. However, though, in saying that, the Giants still have two key pillars that will decide Saturday's result. First off, it's a guy that's actually been rumoured to come to Freo for the past couple of seasons, Stephen Cornelio. He's having a terrific season in my eyes, and he's been flown under the radar for the majority of the season. For a team that's usually been stuck around the bottom four for most of the year, he's playing some fantastic footy. He's still a fair bit away from his 2019 best, but in saying that though, he is still contributing and making a huge impact in the Giants footy. However though, he isn't going to be the most dangerous Giant heading into this game. It's going to be the Giants key defender, Sam Taylor. You want to talk about guys who have been flying under the radar for the past few seasons. This guy has without a doubt in my mind been the biggest one. If you want to rank the best key defenders in the comp right now, you'd probably say guys like Weedering, Aaliyah, Aaliyah, Stephen May, and so on and so forth. But this guy is just about that fourth or fifth margin. He is genuinely one of the best one-on-one defenders in the competition, and if the Giants were flying alongside him, he would no doubt be in the discussion for the All-Australian team. And that's why I'm really, really concerned on what he's capable of doing to our Dockers forward line this Saturday. We still don't know yet if Lobb or even Nat Fife are going to be returning to the team. But even with that being said, Tom Barras absolutely destroyed Roy Lobb in the derby. And Nat Fife, even if he does get his opportunity, has shown numerous times that he just doesn't know how to take it. Sam Taylor, like I just said, is a great one-on-one player. He reads the play beautifully. And in terms of key defenders, he is without a doubt one of the most overlooked in the competition. I'd sort of compare him to a better Brennan Cox, if you will. And not only Sam Taylor, but the GWS guys have got some really good young defenders. Nick Hayes is obviously not young, but he's obviously another great Giants defender. Our tall forwards are going to have a really hard time getting their opportunities this Saturday. So expect most of our goals to come from the crummers and the small forwards. Overall, though, I do think the Dockers will get the job done. We obviously play a better brand, and we have been playing that brand for majority of the season. I mean, one team's in the bottom four while the other team is preparing to play finals. So I don't really expect anything to happen in this game. Nothing particularly special anyway. But again, this game is more context around the result of the top eight rather than the actual game itself. Our only hope is that the Dockers go to Canberra and get away with that W and to prey on the results on Collingwood and Sydney. Okay, that's the best question you can come up with after two hours of footy. You're quite brilliant, Shane. Yeah, terrific. It's time for this week's Q&A, and we're going to start with at Lockie underscore Vaz, who asks, if you could add one solid player, bracket, not a star to the Dockers, who would it be? Well, it really depends on what type of player you classify as a star. I'd probably bring over a solid midfielder, since although our midfield looks good on paper, it's been absolutely dominated a couple of times. For example, the first half against St Kilda, or literally the entire game against Carlton at Marvel Stadium. Someone like a Jacob Hopp or a Tom Green or Reese Matthewson, for example, would fit in there nicely. But if I was to bring over literally any player in the competition, I'd pick Cameron Zerha. He perfectly slips into our forward line. He's a player that thrives off opportunity and is great defensively for a small forward. He fits perfectly into our forward line structurally and he's also got that X-Factor bonus as well. The games that North have won this year have been off the back of Cameron Zerhart kicking a huge bag. And when you give him the opportunity that our Freo forwards are getting, 
it combinates into a player that I think, if he does go to Frio, could join the conversation as one of the league's best forwards. Next question comes from Andy underscore Whiteman underscore, who asks, Brayshaw for Brownlow? It's honestly really hard to get any sort of indication on where the Brownlow votes are at. I mean, none of the Brownlow fancies have had really strong games in the last month. Clayton Oliver, Lockie Neal, and Brayshaw included, have all gone missing in the last month or so. I don't know whether that's me not just paying attention to the games they're playing, or rather them not just playing good for you at all. I don't think this Brownlow count will be anywhere as near as high as last year, where the guys who finished inside the top five all had above 30 votes. But to be totally honest with you, I wouldn't be surprised if we had a three-way tie at the Brownlow count. Oliver is having a hard time shaking off a tag. I literally have no idea where Lockie Neal has gone in the past month. And Brayshaw, although he's been very solid as always, I don't think he'll be getting any votes in the Brownlow anytime soon. And even then, so, I think all of those three guys are at least one solid game away from truly locking in the Brownlow medal. And Melbourne and Brisbane actually do play each other on Friday night, so keep an eye out on that. But other than that, I don't really know, to be honest. Again, if this was a month ago, I would, without a question, lock in Andrew Brayshaw, but... But he hasn't nearly been his B.I.G. best, unlike what we saw during the middle of the year. And again, I wouldn't be surprised if we end up seeing a draw at the Brownlow. At Brandon O'Moon 21, who's making the top eight? It really comes down to three teams, that being Carlton, the Bulldogs, and St. Kilda. St. Kilda can mathematically still finish inside the top eight, but the actual chance of that happening is so unrealistic. I mean, they'll have to beat Sydney, who are probably the second best team in the competition by at least 150 points, and hope that Carlton also lose by 150 points to Collingwood. So yeah, the Saints aren't marching into the finals. Sorry, Chief. So it's going to come down to Carlton and the Western Bulldogs. The Bulldogs take on Hawthorne while Carlton play Collingwood. And I'm very confident that the Doggies will beat Hawthorne, especially considering how poor Hawthorne were last week against Richmond. So it's going to come down to Carlton versus Collingwood, which is not only going to be the biggest game of the round, but is going to be the biggest game that Carlton have played in for the better part of a decade. And honestly, after what I saw from last week from both clubs, I'm honestly more confident that Carlton will win this game rather than lose. I mean, for the Carlton and Melbourne game, the Blues were the better team than Melbourne for the majority of the match. By the time Kurnow kicks that last quarter goal, everyone was thinking the Blues had made finals. But thanks to a clutch goal from Cozzy Pickett with 11 seconds left, that didn't come to be. But my point is, was that Carlton were the better team for majority of the match. And as for Collingwood against the Swans, they were beaten by the time the ball had already been bounced. And honestly, any time a team has had a long winning streak, they always have that short little misstep or two after a first loss. I mean, look what happened to Melbourne after Freo beat them. They lost their next two games in a row. So at this stage, I'm more confident that Carlton will win and lock in a final spot rather than dropping out of the eight. And as much as I do hate them, I will feel really bad for them if they miss out in the eight, considering they've been in the top eight for literally the conclusion of every single round this year other than the last game of the season. At Brody1 underscore Kenobi asks, would you hire Buddy Franklin for one year at 600000 For that deal, absolutely yes. I wouldn't even think twice about that. But it wouldn't depend on would I accept that deal, because like I said, I obviously would. It would come down to if Buddy would want that money. I mean, Sydney offered Buddy 
pretty much that exact same contract and Buddy turned his back against them and said wait until the end of the season to discuss further. But at that low of a price for literally the best key forward that we've seen this century so far, absolutely. And finally, last question from Nick Hill underscore Bashneth. Other than Luke Jackson, who would be your top three realistic trade targets for this year? I think I've praised this guy more than enough this episode, but Cameron Zerha. I mean, he really is that one missing piece that will truly elevate our forward line into genuine premiership threat status. And I'm not joking when I say that I would prefer him to come to Freo rather than Luke Jackson. Don't get me wrong, Luke Jackson is obviously the better player and will be in the next 10 years or so, but Cameron Zerha actually, you know, makes our team better. Another North Melbourne forward that I'd like to see Freo at least attempts to bring over is Nick Larkey. I know that does sound a bit meh considering he's the key forward for literally the worst team in the competition. But just like Cameron Zerha, he has shown countless times that when he gets the opportunity, he thrives off it. As it stands right now, he is one of the most accurate set shots in the competition. He's from WA, he's extremely young, and he's got a lot of upside as well. He hasn't actually been linked to Freo in terms of rumours, but he's a guy that I would definitely be ringing up anytime soon. And again, especially if Lob is considering leaving. And I also guess you could throw Buddy Franklin into the conversation. Again, he hasn't been specifically linked to Fremantle, but the pieces are there. He would fit the Fremantle lineup perfectly. Fremantle have the cash necessary to pay for someone like Buddy Franklin. And his wife slash manager has said that they prefer to move back closer to family. And just so happens that Buddy Franklin is a West Australian. It honestly just feels like a match made in heaven. And I would be really surprised if there wasn't at least a phone call saying that they're considering him. But this whole trade period is going to hinge on the decision of Luke Jackson, whether he comes home or not. And with that being said, that's going to conclude this week's podcast. Thank you once again for tuning in and listening. I've got some huge plans for this podcast as we approach the final series. But let's just hope by the end of this weekend, Top 4 Mantle becomes a reality. I'm your host as always, and this has been the Big Digs Podcast.